The following broadcast has been approved for Elite Hornets fans. What a block by Cody Zeller. Walker down the lane, drive, shoots, scores! Game over! Bringing back the buzz is only the beginning. We will not go quietly into the night. It's Hornets talk for the hardcore fan. It's Hive Talk Live. How do you do? Welcome in, Hornets fans. You are listening to Hive Talk Live here on AtTheHive.com. It's Hornets Talk for the hardcore fan. We are live in the Gittimer.com studios in BEA, beautiful uptown Charlotte. I'm Doug Branson. And I'm David Walker. Doug, I just ran in. I'm out of breath. I'm trying to collect myself, but it's all good. The gang is back. Well, you're, you ran, but you're you're not sweating. I mean, you're and, and that's I... important because you have some slick gear on. You've got some nice... I don't know if they call it gear, but it's nice, nice threads. That's what they this call is, it. This just shows you how dated your clothing is to NBA fashion as well. Oh, listen, we're also, obviously, you know that voice uh, if you listen to the show. Nada Edwards from WFNZ and, of course, the Mike Check podcast joining us here in studio for the show. And he's on top. You're on top of NBA fashion, right, Nada? You know, listen, you're Russell Westbrook. You, like, know what he's going to do before hey, he's five going to four do it, clothing. Right? It's what I wear. It's what the NBA players wear. Jared Dudley <laughs> was the one who put me onto it. I'm not even kidding you. I drink That's what legit. the players drink. I wear what the players wear. Uh, coming up, we've got a great show. Obviously, we're going to talk about this Hornets win 89-85 to over the Miami Heat in Game 4, tying the series as they get ready to head back to Miami tomorrow night. We have Dustin Pfeiffer coming on in about 10 minutes. He'll share with us. His takes on the game, plus where this game, this win for the Hornets ranks in Hornets playoff history. And then our Hornets hot topic, and the, and I really want to get Nada's thoughts on this. Hassan Whiteside had some controversial quotes after the game. This has been kind of a quiet series for good, controversial quotes. We haven't gotten any of the, he's an idiot from you know Kevin Durant it's type of. It's getting tight, 2-2. Yeah, now it's getting physical, now it's a series, and now guys are going to start talking, and you, of course, have to look to Hassan Whiteside to do some of that talking. He is from Gastonia. Now, calm down. That I'm is, just saying. That is my, that's my city. It's my city, and I love it. Um, also, we, Heat we fans. <laughs> they filmed uh, portions of Talladega Nights there. A lot of great things. Uh, yes, we need to move on. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, Miami Heat fans also, they have some pretty crazy conspiracy theories about Game 4. Has there been any seven-minute video that they sent to the NBA? That's the only question I want to know. Well, to be fair, the NBA picked it up. I mean, let's, uh, you know. Well, they, maybe they did to the NBA. Exactly. <laughs> I'm gonna, I need to check the last two-minute report because I'm pretty sure there were more missed calls for the Hornets than there were for Miami in the I last mean, two minutes, I, I think. But I, I need to check that while we while we ramble on in this show. So a lot of good stuff coming up. A couple of things, though, before we start. Uh, I So we're a small show. We're just doing our thing. Uh, we, we do the show for free. We don't ask for money. But we do ask for iTunes reviews and, and a little word of mouth, a little help to get this show off the ground. They're the two ways that we grow so please, uh, if you have some time, give us a short five-star review on iTunes and tell a friend to listen. Lots of people jumping on the bandwagon now that the Hornets have tied this thing back up. They're back in this series. Let them know where to get the most in-depth Hornets talk out there. And, of course, it's for free. And because the Hornets proved they could, in fact, take the heat and remain in the kitchen, let's swarm Charlotte's. All right, real quickly, here's what you need to know. Kimba Walker and Jeremy Lin getting to the rim and hitting huge shot after huge shot in the latter parts of this game. Hornets win 89-85, again, tying this series 2-2. The Hornets are continuing to get Miami in foul trouble. Goran Dragic picking up four quick fouls in the first four minutes of the third quarter and, again, hampered Miami's rotational plans. Miami had zero fast break points. Here are a couple of things you might not know. Spencer Hawes led the team in rebounding off the bench with eight. Miami played 11 players to Hornets uh, eight, and the Hornets beat the Heat in points in the paint, second chance points, and fast break points. Zero, gentlemen, zero fast break points for Miami. Where should we start this discussion on this close, closer than you thought it was going to be, 
when the Hornets went on their run in the latter half or the latter parts of the second quarter. But it was a close victory for the Hornets. Yeah, did you guys think that the Hornets let that creep into their head a little bit? You know, they they I don't you want to call it game three a blowout, but it was comfortable towards the end. I mean, that had to sneak in there a little bit, right? Like, hey, we got this thing, another another comfortable win, two two, we're going to bat Miami, and then all of a sudden the closers for for Miami come in and start playing like like they like they have been. The thing the that I would say is I don't. We just got to give credit to Miami. Miami is yeah. a very good team. Eric Spolstra again, top five coach in the league. This is a professional team. They know how to get back. They know how to get involved. They know what they're doing. So I wouldn't say they let the foot their foot off the gas. More as I would say the Heat are a really good team, and we need to give them credit for what they did to get back in that game. And you yeah. have to understand, Miami, they have, there are a select few players that make their entire living on taking and making tough shots. And the Miami Heat have two of those guys in Dwayne Wade and Joe Johnson. I was reading that 538 article that came out today, I believe, that talked about basically looking at game one and game two and how successful the Heat were at making tough shots and making open shots versus game three and game four. And you know, Joe Johnson and Dwayne Wade, they don't take particularly good shots for most players, but they, over their careers, have performed above average. And so they're two guys that you throw the ball to them and make things happen, especially when Hassan Whiteside frustrated basically the entire night, three of five from the field, only eight points. And I think that's big because Whiteside and Dragic have been frustrated in Charlotte for, for both games. And I think that's something that the Hornets have to keep trying to do. Not anything dirty, but they're playing physical. They're 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 bodying up to him, and they're having success against him. Which, especially for Whiteside, he doesn't, he doesn't really like when Big Al gives him a couple moves and the oohs and the ahs, ahs start flowing. One thing that, and I definitely agree with you on that, David. The one thing I would almost worry about to a certain degree, if I'm a Miami Heat fan, is how easily these guys mentally can be taken out of the game. Right from a veteran, that's the veteran team. That's the veteran team. Goran Dragic looks shell-shocked at this point. He looks like Frank Kaminsky looked in the first two games. On top of which, Whiteside checked out of the out of Saturday's game real early, mentally. He checked out of it. And then to watch him follow that up with what he did on Friday, with, with what he did yesterday, which wasn't much. That's not a good sign, especially for a guy that's looking to make a lot of money in the offseason. Well, we have to talk about the young guys, too. It was something that I pointed to before this series that Josh Richardson and Justice Winslow, two rookies, the the Heat were depending on them for big minutes, and it looked like I was going to be completely dead wrong in that evaluation or, or that being a weakness in the first two games. But uh, J- Josh Richardson, one of five from the field in Game 3, I believe he was... Uh, definitely the percentages weren't good. I don't know the exact number. Justice Winslow, one of seven from the field in game three and and didn't shoot the ball well in game four either. And they both have had open looks. The Hornets have decided to give both of the... Winslow's going to have plenty. Well, plenty of open looks and maybe a little too open in in game four. But but certainly they're okay with those guys taking those shots, especially three-point shots. I I stay way back from him. The minute you step towards him, he is going to the rim hard i mean that is one thing you can say about that kid he yeah but you want to at least go. make him think a little bit no 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 <laughs> you don't nope you don't i want to i want to stay right. in the paint and it, say exactly makes it easier to get the it. rebound how makes it, it much easier to get the I mean, rebound he did hit a three but you know you're gonna take that chance but to your point doug playoff games on the road are different and you're seeing and you see that especially from young players mm-hmm. and richardson had so much success in miami but you're also seeing Miami cool off, uh, you know, as a team a little bit. So we'll see what happens when they go back to Miami. I think they're going to come out pretty fired up for that game five. Yeah, that's a do or die yeah. game for Miami because if they lose that game, they're not winning in Charlotte. I'm convinced of that. Oh. That team will fracture. Well, the Hornets are what fifteen and two since the beginning of February at home, February eighth. So the the Hornets just don't lose at home right now, and so I think that's why I would be with Nada there that if if the the Heat are facing elimination coming back to Charlotte, that they could be in some serious trouble. How about Marvin Williams? Let's talk about him for a moment before we get to Dustin. 0 for 5 from the field. Mm-hmm. Still had an impact, though. Yep. One of the best zero-point games I think I've ever <laughs> seen in my life in terms of 
He didn't make much of an impact, but at the same time, he did his thing. It was one of, to me, the way he hustled, the way he tried to keep balls alive, the way he granted dove into Luol Deng's knees, and that could have been a really ugly situation going forward. That The way he just hustled and he provided leadership without having to say a single word and saying, this is the playoffs, this is a must-win game for us because we cannot go down 3-1 to Miami. Do you think that him playing at the three, having two other guys in there that can battle a little bit on his behalf with Al and Frank, maybe taking a little of the weight off his shoulders as far as just battling guys inside, do you think that's helping out at all? It's helping, but the one thing I would probably say to that is – He's still able to call the defense and from that back line because of the way things are going. As long as he's able to call that back line defense, as long as he's able to make notes of everything, then that's as long as he's able to do that because that's what his big role is. That was one of the big things Cliff always talked about, which was he's able to call the defense. As Cliff has mentioned it multiple times, and as long as he's able to do that, he'll be again. This defense will be fine. When he's not able to, when they try and spread him out again with a Luol Deng, that's when you start worrying. And I think you have to be fair to Marvin Williams. He's playing out of position. I mean, he's he's now at the three spot, and it's going to be different. the 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 sets are going to be different. The action's going to be different for Marvin. So, even though he had a bounce back game three, there was really no guarantee that he was going to play that efficiently or play that well. What I was encouraged by is that Marvin Williams did didn't seem to force things offensively. He could tell, along with some other guys, that this was going to be Kimball Walker and Jeremy Lin's night. Let's switch Let's switch gears to those guys, Kimball Walker. Jeremy Lin, Jeremy Lin in that first half, just absolutely amazing, relentlessly. Yeah, we we talked about that this morning, David. I mean, he really stemmed the tide, the the tide that the Heat uh, had had risen in that in that first quarter. It could have gotten out of hand. Kept a minute was the spark off the bench, and that was probably the question because when we were looking at who was going to fill in for Batum, we were thinking Lynn because he's so effective when he does start, and he's played well, you know, in streaks. Uh, he's played well all year, but really, it's been when he started that he's made these big impacts. So it's good to see him come off the bench. And he said it after the game last night, Doug. You know, if you don't get in there and make an immediate impact in these games, you might not see the floor again. So. I think he's cognizant of it, but he's also having success. I mean, he does such a good job keeping his dribble alive in the paint at all times. And then once he gets an angle, he's able to finish. And he and Kemba together, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but that's that that's been the biggest thing for me. When they're out there together and even, you know, when they're taking advantage of, of uh the perimeter D and getting inside, that's been the big change. I, I asked on Twitter for suggestions because they keep uh parading Kimba and Jeremy Lin together in these press conferences I said look if they're going to continue to play well and continue to do press conferences together we have to uh, get a get a nickname for these guys and I got which let me just say let me hear some of these suggestions I kind of regretted it (laughs) but no I uh, uh, there was obviously uh, people went really hard and fast on rush hour, and I said, "Hold on, I don't." That's media crit. rush hour. Hold on, hold on. I know. I, I said, "Look, if we do that, a bunch of media crit students are going to storm this studio <laughs> and say, listen, we can't, we can't do that.'" From the TV show, right? No, the from movie. movies. <laughs> Come on, guys. No, no, you don't get the benefit of the doubt. Sarcasm doesn't come through in text and sports radio. You have to just be clear on these things. No, uh, but I like Slash Brothers or for the for the. I know you're a little probably a little too old to have been in this N64 gaming world, but Super Slash Brothers, I like that. I like that one. Work the Splash Brothers. I mean, how many how many times can you? Well. It's a little different. I There's think we need to letter. ask Dustin on this one. We need to ask Dustin. All right, for yeah, his let's opinion. let's uh, let's get Dustin in here on the Hive Talk Live Hotline. Uh, Dustin, welcome to the show, my friend. What's going on, guys? How y'all doing tonight? Good, good. We we're talking about. We'll we'll ask you about this first. So we we um, uh, tried to get get Twitter involved here and ask for some suggestions on the nickname for Jeremy Lin and Kimba Walker, who are just lighting up the Miami Heat defense. Uh, they they David did not like my or the suggestion that some Twitter folks had of of Slash it's, Brothers. It's fine. It's too no. He said it's too close to Splash Brothers. Hey, you know, it's it's not bad. I I mean to start off on a Twitter poll, that's not too bad. So True. I, I kind of like that. I mean, it is close to Splash Brothers, but 
again, that's what those guys do, man. They slash through the lanes, pick and rolls, and, and that's what's really getting these guys back in the series. So I don't mind that. I do have to say when I heard Rush Hour, that that, that did make me laugh a little bit. Because of the TV show. <laughs> you right? would laugh, Dustin. That's not a good look, man. <laughs> All right, uh, Dustin. Oh no, I got my I got my guy Nada Edwards on here tonight. It could be a little trouble with me and him. What do you mean could be a little trouble? You're the troublemaker here. Listen, Nada always comes on here and has history with our guest. This is uh, it's always there's always some kind of kid. It was him and JJ. Now him and Dustin. I'm telling you, I just want to I just want to be invited to Applebee's when all of the credentialed media get together and have Apple Teenies. Wait, wait, Apple Teenies? Well, no. Before I but before I get started with what we're going to talk about, I need to know. Is Nada in a optimistic mood tonight, or is he in a kind of pessimistic mood tonight? Wait, wait, hold on. What do you mean <laughs> pessimistic mood? I've been optimistic for at least the last, I don't know, 48 hours. I don't want to hear this, Dustin. Well, that's that's probably a career high, so we'll, we'll continue to ride 40, that one. And 48 hours, another great buddy cop movie. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Dustin, we brought you in here to talk a little history first before we get to some uh, Game 4 takes. I want to throw some historical context in here for some of the uh, bandwagon fans, some of the casual fans, that, that, or some of the younger fans that might not have been around for the original Hornets run. I want to ask you, Dustin, uh, you know, the list of Hornets playoff games spans more than two decades, but there's probably been more heartbreak than celebration. Where does this home win rank in your mind on the all-time list of Hornets playoff victories, home or away? Well, you know, I went I went back and started looking at it once we started talking about this question, and I will say I am born and raised from Charlotte, so I've had this history in my blood for a while, and it's very exciting to to sit back and watch what's happening right now. So I try to look back and look at some wins, and obviously there's not much, like you said, history of success to look at, but a couple of ones that came to mind, obviously two of them are probably right in that first series back in 93 when they make their first playoff berth, playing the Boston Celtics. Guys like Kevin McHale, Robert Parrish, those guys, the Celtics are kind of the, you know, the team that everybody knows about. And the Hornets come out, game two, get a win in Boston in overtime, might have been double overtime, to beat those Celtics for their first playoff win. So obviously that's got to be up there to get the monkey off your back, get that first playoff win. Then you look in that same series, Alonzo Mourning, hitting the shot to beat the Celtics to win that series. So those two obviously kind of stick out up there in my mind. And then obviously you come back to this year. It's been so long since this team has won a playoff game to finally get those wins, to get two in a row at home in front of your fans. they got to be right up there in the top five. What do you all think? Yeah, I think so. A couple of other ones to note. Uh, Game three in the first round in 2001. uh, This was at the Charlotte Coliseum. Hornets uh, win over Miami to get the sweep 94-79. And that Miami team, David, featured Anthony Mason, former Hornet, Alonzo Mourning, former Hornet, and Eddie Jones, one of your favorite former Hornets. Classic Hornet right there. So you go up against three big-time names, former Hornets, and you sweep a Miami Heat team in three games and move on to the next round. I think that was a significant victory. And then, of course, I'm sticking with 2001. I've said many times, one of my favorite Hornets teams of all time. Uh, They get to the second round. They win game five at at Milwaukee against the Bucs, 94-86 and the Hornets were one game away from the Eastern Conference Finals. It was eerie. Like, if you look back at it, the Hornets lost the first two games in Milwaukee, came back home to Charlotte, and then 1-2, went back to Milwaukee. And, and I know fans now hoping that the Hornets can get a get an away victory in Miami, but the Hornets get the away victory in uh, Milwaukee in 2001, and they were one game away from the Eastern Conference Finals. Of course, it yeah, wasn't to I'm be. I'm glad you brought that, that game up because that, that was the next one that I was going to mention. When you, Anytime, regardless of who you're playing, if you can get within one game of going to the Conference Finals, especially for the first time in your team's history, that's got to rank up there, and it's just disappointing that they weren't able to come back and get that deal done to get, get to the Conference Finals. But I, I think why this victory could – I'd say it was – I'd put it at top three because of how exciting it was. There were so many runs, and the crowd was extremely involved, and it, it took this team from what would have been certain elimination in this first round uh, to uh, being back in this series. I think it was an important victory, and – 
you know, you look back at some of these playoff games, even the ones that I just mentioned, I mean, 94-86, 94-79, you know, save for that Boston thriller, these were games that were a little bit out of hand by the end of it. And you had a game in, in, in this one that was just back and forth the entire way. Uh, so I, I think I think you could put this one up there, David. I think so too, because of who they were playing as well. I mean, the Miami Heat, we can't, the Hornets can't get away from them. You know, certainly in recent years, right? Um, and when they're in, the, they've this the only team. Now they played the Magic and the Heat and the Heat, right? Right. This current edition. I mean, I mean, you guys were mentioning the history. There's just not. There's not a lot of history with, no. with the Hornets in the playoffs. Never been to the conference finals. Um, so that's something that is still out there, but. Where this where this franchise has come from, rebuilt, rebirth, you know, shedding the Bobcats name, going through those rough, rough years. I mean, this was a a, a key win, and I think you got to put it up there in your top three. Well, I just want to say, uh, piggybacking off of you, David, I think it's so interesting for fans of the Hornets now because you are essentially living history because there isn't that much playoff history. Any victory, any moment that you witness is. A, a a moment that could rank in the top five all time. I think that's a cool thing that Hornets fans can be involved in now. Well, the other cool thing is this team is still being put together. I mean, from somewhat. I mean, there's pieces that won't be here next year. But, you know, a lot of those teams were, I don't know, capped out. I mean, maxed out, wouldn't you all say? Yeah. It was it was the the, the oh, crest of their run. Yeah. So I mean, there's more to come. You would think with That's this team, point. especially given you know uh, salary cap situation, uh, what they're trying to build here, the youth of the team. So I mean, that's what makes it even more fun. It's it's like let's see how far we can get, and then let's come back and try and you know do better next year, which is possible. Yeah. Top three, top five for sure. And, and, and not and not yep. and not just that. Sorry to interrupt you. I mean, the thing for me is is the the ups and downs of this series. Obviously, you have that in any playoff series that you're in. But when you come back to Charlotte and you're down 0-2 and the fans yeah. are kind of thinking, oh, no, here we go again, and you're two wins away from setting the longest losing streak in playoff oh. history, you know, then to have that turn and now all of a sudden you're tied and you're looking to steal a game on the road and maybe move to the next round. It's just so many ups and downs, and I think that's why it's even more – you know, just making these fans so happy and excited about what's going on. And Miami's a bully on the block, right? I mean, have been. Even when LeBron left, they're still looming there. So there's a lot of significance in this Absolutely. series. Absolutely. All right, let's let's uh, let's talk about game four. I think fans are happy with the victory. If you're the team, you have to be pleased with any victory that you can get in the playoffs. But what was the feeling from the team after the game uh, in terms of the fact that the Heat have basically changed the entire way this team plays offense from the regular season? Is there is there any lingering concern about that change? I don't think there's any lingering concern. And the first thing that I, that I took away after this game, talking to both sides, not just the Hornets, but the Heat, we got to talk to Dwayne Wade and Eric Spolster, was that this was finally the first game in this series where you had a playoff old-school Eastern Conference type, as Eric Spolster said, grinded-out game. And when you've had kind of, you know, blowout games for the first three games where it wasn't really close down the stretch, you wonder which team's going to handle that the best. And obviously, as you say, the Heat being the bully on the block – they probably had the advantage in that situation. But the Hornets were able to grind it out, get that win, tie it up. And again, Lynn, Clifford, Kimba, all of them talked about it after the game. They know that the Heat are going to press them on the three-point line. They're taking that away no matter what, and they're going to make them do other things. And I think now the Hornets have finally settled in and realized what it takes, and that's going to the lane, getting to the foul line, getting people in foul trouble, making things happen. And I think they know now that's what has to happen. And I think that's why they got a good chance to win this series is because they know that they've got what it takes to win and they know what they need to do now. They didn't know that in game one. That's I think that's a significant point, Dustin, because we've talked about it several times on this show before leading up to the playoffs. We questioned this was a finesse team, a finesse three-point shooting ball movement team, and we questioned whether they could win you know, a down-and-dirty fight. And, and certainly it hasn't – I don't think it's really tipped – the scales in terms of physicality, when you look at a series like Cleveland and Detroit that got really nasty, it's not to that level. Yeah, I don't think it's dirty. But it's still physical. Yeah. It's, it, well, it's dirty in terms of getting your hands dirty. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not like dirty. like not no cheap one's, dirty. No one's, no cheap. Yeah, cheap. It's getting your hands dirty, not cheap dirty. Those are two different dirties. <laughs> yes, it is, David. <laughs> he confirms. Uh, uh, no, they're, they're, definitely, they're definitely getting physical. And the, thing, and the other thing about it is Polstra, 
you were talking about making the Hornets play different. Well, he basically came out and just flat out admitted it last night in the post-game press conference. He said through four games, if we knew the Hornets were going to be shooting from three like they are right now, there's no way they thought they'd be 2-2. I mean, that's what he said. So I think even he's a little surprised to see how well the Hornets adjusted to get this series tied. Well, and Clifford, after the game, mentioned it as well. I have a little audio here. Let me play that. Obviously, they have us on our heels here offensively because the way they're playing is so different for our team. We're usually good just kind of playing ball, you know, by NBA standards, moving the ball, second pick and rolls. And they're so disciplined, and they're just literally taking that away from us. So Miami making them play different, but also there's a, there's another big difference that we haven't talked about, and that's the absence of Nick Batum in this lineup. He's a big question mark in terms of, of that injured foot. When you look at these two performances, Dustin, in Charlotte, does it say to you, hey, the Hornets can win a game and maybe even this series without Batum, or does it say, oh, my God, they can't sustain this success without Nick Batum back into the lineup? No, it it definitely tells me that they can win this series without Batum. I mean, obviously, you'd like to have him on the floor, and he is one of your better players, but that's one thing about this team is they've always had a next-man-up mentality, and they all know what needs to be done to play the right way, to play the way Clifford wants them to play to get the job done. So, obviously, they want him out there. Don't know if he'll be out there tomorrow night. Obviously, it's going to be questionable the rest of the series, but – they know now that even if he doesn't come back, they got what it takes to win this series. And I think even if something happens and he doesn't come back, the series is there for the taking. I originally picked the Hornets in six, and I'm actually going to stick with it. Um, but, I mean, I, again, they know without Batum they can get it done. And even if he does come back, the question is, do you leave that lineup that's been successful and maybe bring Batum off the bench, or do you put him back in? I've heard a lot of talk about that today, and I'm curious about y'all's thoughts on that as well. Me, personally, I think you bring Batum off the bench, if anything, just to keep that ankle fresh a little bit, and that way you work him back in the rotation, work him with that second unit. And honestly, Dust, I got one question. Do you see Game 5 as a must-win? Man, you know, that's a tough one. You you, you caught me on that one because, obviously, I want to say no because I feel like these teams are so close that they could win. As long as they get one of those two in Miami, they're going to win. But then again, I go back to what David said, and when Miami's the bully on the block and you have guys like Dwayne Wade and Joe Johnson and a veteran coach like Eric Spolstra, that goes back into the back of my mind saying, yes, you need to get it done tomorrow night just because you don't know how your team's going to react in a game seven when they haven't been there. I, I think that it's it's an absolute must win if they don't get Nick Batum back in this series because you look at game four and – Joe Johnson and Dwayne Wade were giving the Hornets everything that they could handle, hitting big shot after big shot. And it took some heroics from Kemba, from Jeremy Lin, from Courtney Lee. It took an all-out effort to dig that game out in Charlotte. I think if you're in a Game 7 in Miami with those two, my, uh, with Joe Johnson and, and Dwayne Wade, without Nick Batum, they're winning that game. I just, I, I just think it's a must and, win. And I can't disagree with that. Yeah, and given the role that home court has played in this, I mean, the teams had identical records, and we knew home court was going to be important. It's turned out to be you know, huge, so it's hard not to call it a must-win. And you, I'm like you. You don't want to put that on this game because it's going to be tough to win. There was uh, one thing that was interesting but, that – go ahead, Dustin. What I was going to say, I mean, actually, if, 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 if Nada's going to ask me that, I mean, I, I think it's – you know, even though they have one back in Miami for a game seven – I mean, I think all the pressure tomorrow night for Game 5 is almost like a must-win for Miami because if they don't win that game, I just think the Hornets play so well at home they've done it all season that they can come back home and close this out Friday night. So it's almost a must-win for both teams. Definitely. And Dustin, I mean, guys, keep this in mind. Charlotte hasn't played well offensively or up to what they did in the regular season. Certainly not shot the ball well, certainly not from three. So if they've still got that to, to pull out in their arsenal, I mean, you know, it could get even better. We don't know. But I, I would agree with that. I would say a lot of that is by design by Spolstra to True. cut everything off. True. Because, again, Spolstra, top five coach in this league. And I would say a lot of the ball screen, a lot of the movement that they've, they've flustered that. And that's a great job by Spolstra. I just wonder how much better can this offense get. Maybe you hit one or two more threes. threes. They've had open. I mean, some have been open. And that's, that's one of those things where you're yeah. used to it. And Go ahead, Dustin. Yeah, but, I mean, go ahead. I mean, I want Doug to touch on this. I mean, you talk about they haven't been there offensively, and I completely agree. 
But obviously, Spolster is sitting back and going, okay, we are taking the three away from them, but we are getting killed in the paint, yeah. and our guys can't stay out of foul trouble. So what if Spolster decides to make a little change and he guards that pick and roll and the paint more, all of a sudden those threes might open up for the Hornets and you might get a barrage that you haven't seen all series. So there's things there for the Hornets that might happen because of their success of getting to the lane with Kimba and Jeremy Lin. Oh, listen, I will touch on it. I I think that... (laughs) He's going to touch all of it. Oh, I'm going to touch every single part of this. (laughs) Um, It's a family-rated show, sir. (laughs) (laughs) I think that... I don't think that they'll back. I don't think that the Heat will and Spolster will back off because the Hornets are killing them in the paint. I think they're going to back off because Spolster sees Hassan Whiteside getting extremely frustrated and not playing well, and he sees Goran Dragic, the the facilitator, the point guard, getting frustrated and not playing well. And and I think you you have to make some kind of adjustment to get. And, and he played 11 guys. And the reason that's significant is because Miami, for the last month of the season, had an eight-man rotation locked in. They were locked in. They were winning ball games, and they were doing it with a set rotation. And the Hornets, through that relentless attack and through a lot of energy, and, and we'll get to some hustle stats later on, but through a lot of hustle over muscle, which is the name of this episode, they've been able to somehow disrupt what... Miami has has been able to do or was able to do in those first two games. So yeah, I think that's why they back down because you're. I think you're. This is a critical point for Miami because they already had kind of a fragile coalition between. You got two isolation stars in Joe Johnson and Dwayne Wade. You've got a, a mercurial center in Hassan Whiteside, and that's being kind, right? And that's being very kind. And you've got Goran Dragic, who can be a little moody at times. He's, he's shaking. I, not a, you don't think they're they're going to back off that, though, do you? I don't, only because if they if the Hornets start hitting threes, the series is over anyway. They start hitting threes at the rate and the clip that they did, it'll resemble a lot like that game in Miami where the Hornets came back and ran away with it. So I don't think they have a choice but to stick with what they do. You're, they're going with it. We're going to value giving up twos we're going to value giving up twos less and more than giving up threes and that's the only reason why i can see them continue continuing to do what they do uh dustin and i don't disagree with that i don't think they'll back off completely but i do think spolstra knows there's a small adjustment that that is needed and because if not and like like doug said if, if rogers gets three thousand fouls in the first half and white side gets three fouls in the first half and you're relying on guys like richardson to run the point and amari stoudemire to play backup center then it's really not going to matter what defense you play because those guys aren't as capable. Dustin, I want to play a little game of speculation here, very popular on this show. Let's get way ahead of ourselves for a second. It's time for some (laughs) listener-submitted speculation. Again, we're just speculating here. This is experience speculation. This uh, speculation opportunity comes to us from James on Twitter. Dustin, uh, James wants to know, if the Hornets do manage to get by the Heat, now we're already speculating, do you expect them to revert back to the loose, free-flowing, three-point shooting offense from the regular season? Or, do they, whether it's Toronto or Indiana, do they stick with this bruising, attack-oriented, paint-oriented scheme? Well, I mean, obviously, I mean, you're going to look at who they play, and Clifford's going to take a look at an opponent and see what they do best. But I think they're definitely going to try to pull back and go to their old style. I mean, obviously, they're still going to give Kimba and Lynn kind of free reign to get into the paint when they want to. But, I mean, Toronto, maybe Indiana has some length with Jan Mahaney and Miles Turner, but those teams just aren't as physical uh, with Miami Heat like Wade and Joe Johnson and, and Whiteside are down low. So, obviously, they're going to try to revert back to their old style of play first because that is obviously what they're most successful at. But, again, if it don't work, now that, if it doesn't work, now they know that they can go back to the other style as well. So, that. That's a good thing for the Hornets to know that they can play both ways. Here's my concern, though. I I thought the Hornets had open three-point opportunities in Game 4, and Spencer Hawes, Kimball Walker. He gave it up to Marvin. He gave it up, and they hesitated. And I feel like like that's because the Miami Heat have gotten them to play a certain way, and you have to get into that mentality, and, and you have to commit to a certain style of play. And I think it's hard to then throw yourself back into this other because it is there really are two very different styles of offense that the Hornets played in the regular season and what they're playing now. And my concern is if this thing goes seven, 
there's not going to be a lot of time between first round, second round to reorient to to you know figure things out again what? It, it's, it's what makes uh game five must win yeah that's why it makes game five you can put must them win. away in six and you get a couple extra days to like get a, get into the big practice facility and and think okay let's reset let's refigure things out practice facility more like the training table this is yeah, a very I, physical <laughs> series at the same time, Doug, what, what, what happens if toronto and indiana go seven and they don't have time to really get ready for what we're going to bring so you can you can play that both ways i mean i Obviously, the playoffs are a different animal, so that's why the Hornets aren't able to play the same style they played in the regular season. they got to find that balance in between where they can do both because they are going to have to hit more threes, not only if they want to win this series, but try to advance and, and play the second round series. Great question from James on Twitter. You can ask us questions on Twitter at Hive Talk Live, and, and we try to get to as many as we can. Uh, last question here, Dustin. Coach of the Year voting was revealed today. Hornets coach Steve Clifford finished in fourth place with 98 points and seven first-place votes. He finished behind winner Steve Kerr, coach of the Golden State Warriors. Portland Trailblazers coach Terry Stotts in second, and old Greg Popovich in third this sound right to you dustin well i um i mean clifford fourth sounds right to me i i honestly wouldn't have steve kerr as my coach of the year i think he's a great coach he's he's done great things but i almost do the same thing with the player in an award if you miss that much time and i know he's still game planned even though he wasn't on the bench but if you miss that many games i just don't see you getting the award my coach of the year was terry stotts i mean you lose four starters on a playoff team including aldridge who's a star and then you come back and you still get the same playoff seed you did a year ago in the Western Conference, you have to win Coach of the Year. But other than that, I mean, Kerr and Pop being in the top three, that's expected, and Clifford a respectable fourth. Now, I did see on ESPN it was for the Bobcats, so I'm not sure what that oh, was about. Geez. But, again, a respectable yeah. fourth for Steve yeah. Clifford. No, wait, wait, wait. Hold on. Dust, no Dave Yeager? Where was Yeager. Dave Yeager in this? For real. Yeager. He needs his own award. He needs his own award. That the man had 28 no different listen, players. Listen, I, it's the, what's the, the whelp symbol on Twitter? Anybody That's his that award. With, yeah, anybody that can put up with Lance Stevenson, Matt Barnes, Birdman, any Zuba, of those guys. DJ Harrison. DJ Harrison. I mean, <laughs> yeah, so I mean, you got to give that guy credit. And I think he probably would have been higher if the collapse at the end wasn't so bad. I mean, obviously you couldn't help it because he didn't have anybody but they just really collapsed hard at the end of that season, and it kind of took some steam off of his campaign. You okay with this this lineup? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think the Kerr getting that record, I don't like. I don't understand he missed time, and I think that says something about him, actually, that they were able to go on the run they did while he was out at the beginning. But, like, the constant getting his team up and playing to get that record, I, I mean, that's that's enough for me. You know, personally. I think I – think- and and tell me if I'm wrong here, guys, but I think there's a factor in here that, that we haven't talked about that you don't want to look back on this year and go, oh, they broke the record for most all-time wins, but wait, the coach didn't win coach And not the only year. that, Kerr had, what, 60-some-odd <laughs> wins last year? Yeah. So he would have had, like, what, 100? I don't so know. I, I would have voted for Stotts, though. I mean, it's amazing that you return one starter, and now with the injuries to the Clippers, these guys are uh, look like they're in the inside lane to go to the – the next round of where the they're playoff. losing five well i mean look look it's unbelievable <laughs> i mean you Four. gotta you gotta realize that thoughts had guys in his rotation like oh yeah gerald henderson who oh. was inconsistent oh, yes. here noah vonley who still can't put up you know uh minutes who with with production so then you got guys like al farouk amino i mean so you got some some miscast characters after lillard and mccullum so that's an incredible job in the Western Conference to do what he did. For sure, one of the better, one of the best backcourts in the NBA too. Though one of the youngest ones. I like Stotts. I love Portland. I love Lillard. Um, I just think Kerr. You, yeah. How can you look back on that record and say he didn't get it? You know what I mean? I, I get the time away though too. Well, he's just going to turn into a Popovich where those two obviously could win it every year if they want to. Cause oh yeah, just, yeah. Their teams are that good, and that's how good they coach. Where so. was Stevens? Right below Clifford. Sixth was one spot. I can't remember who was fifth, but I know that Stevens was sixth. Blatt? Maybe. <laughs> wow. Wow. LeBron? Was LeBron in there? That's great. Uh, Dustin, uh, thank you. Oh, by the uh, I would have voted for Stotts just because he came to Charlotte and started Noah Vonley just because for, like, some revenge. I mean, that's <laughs> the Cajones. The Cajones. That's great. <laughs> Uh, thank you, Dustin, for joining us. We really appreciate it, and we will definitely talk to you again before these playoffs are done. No problem, guys. See, I wasn't one. that negative, Dust. 
Yeah, he was he was happy. No, it wasn't wasn't too bad. Not I, I mean I I appreciate your optimism. I mean obviously the city's got you glowing right now. To be fair, we had to burn a lot of incense. Exactly, he's, I'm he's in a feeling good mood right very now. <laughs> zen right now. Thank you, Dustin. Take it easy, guys. All right. Now it's time to get into a subject that I've been dying to get into ever since I started seeing these on my Twitter feed as I did the the, the late night prep uh, for the Hive O'Clock Alarm. Hassan Whiteside, product of Gastonia. Hashtag pride of Gastonia. He's not happy, guys. Is he ever? He's not a happy camper. And, and because of that, I wanted to play I wanted to play him a little mu- mood music. And I want to read some of these post-game quotes to that mood music. This is Hassan Whiteside after the game. A little upset. He's, he's been in foul trouble. He's frustrated. His first quote. They're flop artists. Man, I thought the playoffs were physical. This ain't physical. This is the flop-offs. On Jeremy Lin. We've just got to watch out for him. Because he likes to throw his arms into people. <laughs> <laughs> just don't get too physical with him. This is on Cody Zeller. Just don't get too physical with him. Because he's going to fall over. And the last quote. Guy's flopping. And I just got to do a better job on that. And not get offensive fouls. And he sounds pretty sad. (laughs) So were there specific ones that came to mind? The only one I could recall was the charge on Cody. Which I thought was a good play by Cody. He he got right right outside the uh, restricted area. Took a charge on Whiteside. Before he could recover. I mean, it was a smart play. Yeah. That's the thing. It's a, you, why are you going to get mad at someone making a smart play? If you want, if you want to see a flop, go back and check out Justice Winslow or Marcus, trying to, Marcus uh, Smart. Yeah, trying to trying to guard Frank, and he took a dive. And he got called for it. Exactly, he got called for it. Yeah, but, no, the, the the Cody thing was not a dive. He took the shoulder. That's the thing. If you take the shoulder into the chest, <laughs> he took a shot. He yeah, did. he just yes, he did. He acted up a little bit, of course. But the players do that all the time. We forget that Cody recently had a chest contusion i wouldn't say he's playing it up maybe he's yeah maybe he just sort of needed to to back off a little bit yeah he didn't want to take the full brunt of hassan Whiteside's shoulder now do you guys think the the lynn video the youtube clip has played any part in yes him? yes because I mean, he's getting consecutive right every time like a couple different times down the court I'm nope. making good plays and i think they're legitimate but we saw that in the regular season and he didn't get some of those calls right yeah, no, that that has because remember how the NBA came out with that report saying, "Oh, there's nothing All to good. see here, and, and everything's fine." <laughs> but no, now we're going to start calling fouls on Jeremy Lin because hey, we messed up badly. Now, I didn't think the refs were particularly good last night. No, they they haven't been they haven't been good. They haven't been consistent. But that's NBA refereeing at this point. Yeah, I mean, you got to accept the inconsistencies. And more look at your own team and how they respond to right, it. Right. So which team reacted better? Charlotte. Charlotte. Yeah. Charlotte by far. And and they've constantly been re- the better reactionary folks when it comes to the officiating. Unfortunately, Miami just seems to lose their mind, just like Gerald Green did after he hit a three to tie the game. Mean mugging. And like he's mean mugging, and it's like, <laughs> dude, you have single minutes, single digit minutes in the series. It was Stop. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't. You uh, think, I think that. Yeah, I look. They were aggressive and they attacked almost every time down the court. So I think the odds were just in their favor to get a couple of those calls. And yeah, I mean, I, I think the video probably had a little bit of an impact, but I, but I think more is just that Kimba and Jeremy Lin are significantly quicker. Yeah. We we knew that that Miami had a size advantage. Charlotte had a quickness advantage. We didn't know that Charlotte was going to have to use that quickness advantage as much as they've had to, but they're doing it. Now, I think fatigue could be a factor that we look at down the line because they Agreed. are they are just giving everything they have and leaving it all out there on the court and, and attacking the rim. And that takes, you know, the contact that you do take is going to eventually uh, uh, pile up. And so you wonder how they're going to respond, especially with one day rest in between the rest of these games. But no, I, I think yeah. Look, I, I'm with Nada. It's NBA officiating. It's not the premier officiating in professional sports. 
To be fair, they are, but that's only because the rest of professional sports have suspect officiating as well. That's true. So, but there's no there, there's no conspiracy theory, and not a, I also want to get your take you, you on. You don't think the NBA is trying to rig this so Charlotte wins? Yeah, I know. I know, because there's so much money in Charlotte winning. Right. It makes so much sense that they would want Charlotte with no star power to beat Miami, who has Dwayne Wade and and Joe Johnson. But I do have to read a few of these. This comes from Twitter. At Pants Free Zone says, they clearly want a longer series for more ad revenue, or they have some truly incompetent, corrupt refs. Original, original. More ad revenue. They, listen, I, I'm sure they're Them doing... spots they, have been sold already. Yeah, they're doing fine. Gabe on Twitter says, if you saw the game last night, you'd see the Heat are tied in the series with the refs, not the Hornets. Did the refs score, what, almost 100 points in the paint this series? I'm sorry, while they're in Charlotte? Or, or was that the Hornets? I can't remember. The refs almost scored as much as Miami did in the second quarter. Boom, roasted. <laughs> Boom, roasted. It is high. It is far. It is gone. That is David Walker with a walk-off right there. Boom. Ugh. Boom. Roasted. It was still worth it. It took a little longer than I wanted it to, but it was still worth <laughs> it. Just take that out and post. This person's uh, Twitter name is Heat-Panthers, so his allegiances are already a little Bruh, split. Bro, you, you, right. you, you sound confused. He's the one with a LeBron his, Heat jersey on? His handle is Dab Newton 6 Oh, um, no. All right, this tweet. Refs have been horrible this whole series. The Hornets' game plan is to run into Heat players and pray for the foul call. It's not a bad plan if that's the case. <laughs> Listen, the lane has been wide open, so they've had plenty of time to pray, maybe make a sandwich. Uh, you know, they've got plenty of time there in the lane. So. And get whacked in the face by Hassan Whiteside and his flailing arms, but that's neither here nor there. Apparently, only Jeremy Lin does that. Too many tinfoil hat conspiracies in Miami. We'll find well, out. Got nothing better I mean, to game do. Game five, we'll find out. Well, I, you, <laughs> Dwayne Wade's getting a call or a bucket first time down. It, you know what we we did we mention this in a five o'clock alarm? I'm not sure, but when Jeremy Lin came in the game and, and drew those two fouls on Dwayne Wade, first of all, I couldn't believe that they actually that they called them, yeah. but it was it was significant because again, it was just a, another example of how uh, his uh, entrance into the game really uh, stopped the momentum for Miami early on. It was it was significant. I mean, this isn't the first time a, a losing fan base is going to blame the refs. You know, it's not that big a deal, but it is. It was a little surprising to me to see. Um, the Heat players take that much note of it. And I thought, again, I thought the officiating was spotty. Especially when you had players saying they didn't want to get fined for what they wanted to say. That was the most interesting part to me was just the amount of mental fragility where you're blaming refs for a three-point game in which you had a chance to come back and you didn't, and you didn't execute. You let Courtney Lee, one of the smaller guys on on the court, get two clutch offensive rebounds. Yes, the refs definitely had something to do with that. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, just surprising. Well, and there's a clear dynamic here where you have the Heat who are fragile, who are are reactionary, and you have the Hornets, who we've talked about all season, are a team that's built by Rich Cho, who is generally regarded as a very even-keel personality. And, and I think he has assembled a team of very even-keel personalities. When you look at Kimball Walker... Clifford, Nick Batum, Lynn, Lynn, yeah, they're all they they will get emotional, and Marvin Williams probably chief among them, who is well again can show emotion when when things are going in a positive direction, but or when he's dunking on you, right? But generally, when they go in a negative direction, they they don't seem to lose their cool very easily. The only one that that gets that way is Kemba, and and that has cost them a couple of possessions in this series when he's yelling at the refs and hopefully he Spencer realizes gets a little crazy too i think he's Spencer got some, is crazy he's got some crazy in him he had a great meme last night though or a gif or jif should i say it's a gif <laughs> you should not say that ever again yeah spencer the nom noms he was eating is you that, saw eat? that right you yeah saw i saw it <laughs> i saw it afterwards i i it's one of the beautiful things about the internet. Sometimes when you connect to the t- time warner wi-fi i know what i wanted to ask you david okay Uh-oh. how was our favorite, Eric Collins. How did he what, do? Having Eric Collins in the playoffs is a real, is a special treat. Oh, Lord. It is kind of weird, though, because you're in the playoffs game. You're in the playoffs. You expect to get, you know, the national guys um, a bit bigger names. No, no disrespect to anyone. But, and then you got Collins 
and uh, and Stephanie Reddy, who do a bang up job as always. So and they would have been on this, NBA TV, right? They were on uh, because it's the home announcers, I think. When, I they, when it goes to NBA TV, I know we, you know, local. I don't know. Wouldn't have watched NBA TV, but I think that the nation was exposed to Eric. Collins. Oh, you're welcome, nation. <laughs> How was he though? It's a close game. That's his time. I mean, I'm 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 all you know me. I'm all in on Eric Collins, so it's like a warm blanket. Any when I hear any his. particular. I should check Twitter. Maybe no, someone's suggesting. Honestly, this honestly, this game was 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 too touch and go, really, to to be uh, concerning myself with Eric Collins. But oh no, <laughs> wait! I heard I heard the word my, bulges was yeah, used. Yeah, a sixteen point bulge, which has become my favorite go to of his. <laughs> oh jeez, an X point bulge, whatever that is. He knows what he's doing. Of course. Now, um, Ian Eagle was he the was he the play by play on for game TNT? Three? Yeah, I believe so. Frank the Tank has gone streaking. He pulled that out. Nice. Yeah. That was that, that Some one. Pop but, culture awareness, and I like it. When it, when we get off air, I got to tell you a story about a radio personality. <laughs> I can't tell you the always, story on you air. I always love to hear that. I, I, wish, I wish I could, but there's a radio personality that had a little interesting run in during media dining with Iron Eagle that at some point I have to tell you. It, it's that good. We have to talk about hustle stats. This is something I've wanted to talk about on the show for a little bit because it, it's something new and and you know I, I like me some numbers so wait just because it's a shiny new toy means we have to talk about it now well, i think it's interesting it's that, a shiny new toy for you isn't it doug well um, you're starting to get a hang of this yeah <laughs> well i think listen I, I think it's interesting that the nba pulls this out in the playoffs it's kind of a trial run for these hustle stats uh and and there's some interesting categories here screen assists so this is an assist that's set by a teammate that directly leads to a made field goal. You have deflections, which Clifford always talks about. Dis- yeah, that's yeah legit. deflections, deflections that's legit. disruptions. Although that's interesting about deflections, I'll get to that in a minute. Uh, but they define it as the NBA defines it as a player getting a hand on a ball on a non-shot attempt. Loose balls recovered, charges drawn, two pointers contested, three pointers contested. Those contests both define as a player closing out and raising a hand on defense. Uh, not in disgust, but in um, in actually trying to close out. But uh, big time caveat here: these stats I think are a bit experimental, and in the close or in the the uh, contested, we don't know what the the feet there is. So if you're if you're if it is it a Frank Kaminsky on Luol Deng contest? Right. That's what wait, 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 wait. Post when we talk about Frank Kaminsky Luol Deng contest, are we talking? quarter like first half of quarter one contest or, or second half on. of quarter one yeah. contest it's different that's where, what where i'm does, saying where's so hand down know. man down fall in these <laughs> is that is there is can that we leave down? mark jackson out of this please uh the these stats are experimental they're also a bit subjective so just keep that in mind as we as we talk about this but i, I wanted to throw a couple of things out there that i found interesting in this series when i examine the hustle stats and get your thoughts on them so uh, here are a couple of things that jumped out to me the Hornets' two home victories, they averaged 13 deflections to Miami's six. In their two losses to Miami, the Hornets averaged only eight to the Heat's 10.5. So the Hornets' defense, a lot handsier. Yeah, active hands has been one of the things. And I do find that very interesting because one of the big things when Michael Kidd Gilchrist was in the lineup is that their hands are a lot more active. Yep. Now that they're home, I can understand being with the home crowd. That's got to travel, though, for me. Yep. And granted, a lot of that might be curbed due to refereeing because you don't want to pick up that second or third foul. So I completely understand why it's a little bit different. But that's got to be able to travel for Game 5 because if not, I don't see them winning. Yeah, and I don't think they can worry about it. They just got to say they can't call them all. And not that they're going to be fouls, but they you see those, especially the guards, digging down on the on the yeah. block and getting those, getting those loose balls and knocking them away. That's been huge. They didn't do it in Games 1 and 2. And I think Clifford made a point of it because you could see a concerted effort to make a change in the last two games. All right, next one. We think of Justice Winslow as the defensive specialist off the bench for Miami, and certainly he's done a fantastic job playing defense. But it's Josh Richardson, the the other rookie, second-round rookie out of Tennessee, whose aggressive attack mentality has led to an average of 9.25 contests per game versus Justin, who is a- Justice, who has averaged 5. 7-5, and I just really bring this up. It, the contest number, not really a great indicator, I'm sure, of, of actual you know defensive prowess, but I think it's interesting, 9.25, just from 
I didn't, you have to tally all these up by hand. You can't get averages. So I didn't, but I, I'm pretty sure 9.25 ranking pretty high uh, on the, the Miami Heat list for this series. And, and that bears out in the eye test because Richardson has been, in terms of ball pressure and contesting Kimball Walker, he's been all over it. And, and it's, it's end to end. Yeah. And it's hampered the Hornets' offense in a, in yeah, a it's really critical it down a little way. Bit, yeah. One thing I would say about that is you got to remember that Josh Richardson is a bigger defender. Mm-hmm. He's usually longer arms. Uh, yeah, exactly. Especially when you're talking about him guarding Jeremy Lin on and pressing Jer- Jeremy Lin, and you're also talking about him guarding Kemba Walker and making him work 90 feet. So those contest numbers might be skewed just a bit, but it seems accurate compared to where Justice is working more with the guys down low. Into, and less stretch fours and more guys on the block. Talking about the NBA's new hustle stats, which you can you can access on the the new box scores, boxscores.stats.nba.com. Uh, so I want to turn that last one back to Nick Batum, though, because I heard something interesting from Steve Clifford after the game. He mentioned something, uh, an impact that Nick Batum has on the floor that we might not always think about. He said that you know Kimba, when when Nick Batum is on the floor, Kimba. And, and I think I, I could say Lynn as well, gets the ball back with a little bit more space because Nick Batum, with his drive, with his dribble, can command a little more attention than, than his replacement players. And so I think that's interesting when you consider Josh Richardson. I think if Batum's back in this lineup later in this series, he can get Kimba a little more space because right mm-hmm. now Kimba has zero space in ter- outside the arc. He has to use Josh Richardson's aggression to move by him and get to the rim. Luckily, he did that in games three and four and, and finished the ball well. But just another thing to look for if the Hornets do get Nick Batum back into the lineup. Final hustle stat here. Going back to game one, you know, the one where the Heat shot over 57% from the field, had a historic 1.42 points per possession, and scored 41 points in the first. This is interesting, though. The main rotation players for Miami only had two screen assists, and they were from Amari Stoudemire and Udonis Haslam. The Hornets had 14 screen assists in that game. It just goes to show Amari you- Stoudemire had his, had his screen assist? Yeah. They were the only two main rotation players to have screen assist, and that's amazing when you consider how efficient that offense was, and so little of it came directly out of the pick and roll, it was all second pass kind of stuff. Just amazing. Wow. And I don't. And I think it just goes to show you that that, that that's not sustainable. And we've seen that in game three and four. But, Especially with dead legs and one day off and an yeah. older team. So this is going to be interesting. Final couple of minutes, guys. Not a lot of time left, but I, I do want to ask a, a very important question as we head into uh, game five in Miami. The most important thing the Hornets need to pack in their travel bag. Ooh. Not talking about shaving kits or uh, you know special well, colognes. I mean, I would say three-pointers, but they've been able to excel without hitting those. I think yeah. if they can bring that in, that's just going to be an extra boost. I think it's like not a set. I think it's that intensity that they're coming with from the very beginning, including getting hands on balls and, and trying to, to, to affect the way the Heat are trying to – play their offense i mean that's the biggest thing to me they can't come out in miami with a slow start again because i think it's just going to spell trouble for them they've got to get going from the very beginning and bring the momentum and the way that and the physicality they've played with here down to miami take it down there yeah definitely and i'll be getting into this during the game five uh hornets pregame on wfnz because i get to do it five and six because chris kroger's out of town so shameless self-promotion there not shameless no we Mm. love it but I, I would say it's definitely what David said, active hands, active defensive intensity, active attention to detail, and maybe, maybe just a little bit more outside shot making. Because if they bring all that, be nice. then Friday is an elimination game for the Miami Heat. Oof. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? I cannot. I just want, I don't want to imagine it. I just want it to come true. Game five, <laughs> Heat. Uh, the Hornets traveling to Miami tomorrow night, 8 p.m. on TNT. Time for one last thing. Head coach Steve Clifford, he may not have won Coach of the Year, but he's guided a team that lacked a true superstar and lost argu- arguably their most important player twice. He guided that team to 48 wins. He's one of the smartest coaches in the league, and when he speaks, people listen, be they players, media, or fellow coaches. After the game last night, he shared what he thinks is the most important thing in professional basketball and why the Hornets have remained alive 
in this series, and I want to play it for you. There's nothing more important in this league, and and coach, you can't sell it. If they think they're good enough to win uh, because they're all experienced enough, then they're going to have that kind of resolve. And if they don't, if they truly don't in their hearts, then when they get behind or when things go badly or when you lose three or four in a row, they're going to lose that. And I think from day one, they've all thought we're better than people think we are. And they know that when we play well, we're good enough to give ourselves a chance to win almost every night. You have to believe it in your heart. Speak. Speak. I could listen to Clifford press conferences just on loop. I I just want to hear Clifford reading the phone book because that would be fun. (laughs) That would be fun because he would have some kind of witty basketball intellect thing to say as, as he's reading the phone book. I would love to hear it. I would pay for this, Hornets. Yes, I would. <laughs> we'll, we'll let that be the final word. That'll do it for us, Hornets fans. Thanks so much to Nada Edwards. Subscribe to the Mike Check podcast and check him out on uh, the uh, WFNZ uh, pregame show. Follow him on Twitter, at Nada the Scribe. And, of course, thank you to Dustin Pfeiffer. Follow him on Twitter, at Dustin Pfeiffer, P-H-I-F-E-R. And follow us on Twitter. Facebook and Instagram at Hive Talk Live for live game updates and more, and a chance to win a signed mini ball signed by the whole team if we get to 2,000 followers by the finals. Go to atthehive.com for all the latest news and analysis on your Charlotte Hornets. For David and producer Katie, I'm Doug saying stay bought in, stay believing, stay cool in Miami, Hornets. All hail the teal and purple.